my next guest is a lover of coffee, <laughs> owner of a maple syrup farm, owner of a new agency, uh, co-founder and volunteer with Conquer COVID-19, my good friend, Lori Dillenshaw. How you doing, Lori? Good, good. Thank you for my introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I thought that would uh, elicit some laughter. It, it does, it does. <laughs> um, how you doing? How's the family? Hey, the family is good. Uh, we had an exceptional maple syrup uh, spring. Uh, we have four times the sap that we had last year. So uh, it put us here in, in uh, Bob Cajun earlier than we thought and, and before the shutdown. Um, so we're, we're doing well. We're doing well. So is Bob Cajun like right now, is that home for you? Uh, right now, uh, we're sensitive that mm -hmm. um, we should be in our primary residence, but this has caught us in the middle of our largest harvest ever. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're still, we're still a few weeks away from boiling and bottling. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we, uh, we ran out of firewood, actually, so we had to uh, chop up more wood. Okay. Um, so it finds us in Bob Cajun. Nice. And I'm guessing the kids are busy with you working them and school working them. They are. They are. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're adjusting to the sort of new schedule of school uh, mm -hmm. via computers. So we had to, we had to bring a few uh, computers and set them up here so that okay. they can work. Yeah. Nice. And, um, so, so tell me, how did you become involved with, with Conquer COVID-19? I mean, that's a, to answer that question, I, I feel like I'd have to go back to 2016. And um, as you know, we share a lot of the fr same friends in common. And mm -hmm. Suleiman and Khadija, uh, um, Suleiman Amahad and Khadija, uh, Keiji, um, they started helping Syrian families in a sort of resettlement effort mm -hmm. and reached out to us to help, um, you know, put together packs and, and uh, things for refugees. And I, in 2016, Khadija called me and she says, you know, we have a family at our mosque that has nothing, no furniture. And she knew I was volunteering my time at uh, uh, sort of a East End uh, a refugee like retail shop where everything was free. Um, so That's I offered, right. yeah. Yeah. So I offered to pull together some things for her. And as it turned out, that family of four was actually a family of 24. And I worked for months to get them everything they needed, like mm -hmm. furniture, baby mattresses, uh, clothes, like you name it. But that, that moment, you know, you're assessing needs, you're, you know, pulling calls out, asking for offers, asking for mm -hmm. donations, collecting, distributing. I mean, really, this started a long time ago. So when Suleiman called and said, I'm responding to the need to get medical supplies um, to the field, I hopped on right away to help him because we've yeah. done it before. And so, you know, the reason to, to help, you know, in terms of, you know, your 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 personality and your ethos you know it makes sense 
Um, <laughs> but from a, you know, I read your, like just these four lines of who you are. You've got this farm. It's, it's, it's harvest time. You're just starting a new agency. Um, did you, and you're very involved, like you're, you're a co-founder now yeah. of, of this. Um, you know, I, I'm not asking, did you know what you were getting yourself into? <laughs> but maybe I am in a roundabout way. Well, I, it's true. I often feel like I'm going to crack in two lately because mm -hmm. I'm so busy. And uh, I'm lucky in that I have a support structure here at home. My husband is amazing. My kids. I mean, I, I see them because we're isolated together, but literally I spend days and hours sitting in the same place, uh, jogging between all those responsibilities. Mm -hmm. um, but I think like you, like a lot of folks, um, part of my day job is identifying trends and seeing what's coming and identifying weak signals before they hit the marketplace. Mm. And I could see this, I could see this coming um, uh, because of the people I follow. Uh, so I had uh, developed very early on a deep sense of urgency about what would be needed and the gap, the enormous gap um, in the Canadian marketplace uh, around medical supplies. Can you tell me about that gap? I'm trying to understand it from a perspective of in Canada, we've got, you know, this, this public health, you know, that yeah. nobody, nobody goes without, you know, being able to see someone. Right. Whether you're rich or you're poor. Um, and, and, and so my, I, I would assume that the infrastructure and everything that would be needed to support those in need would be there. So help me understand why this gap yeah. exists. Okay. And, and I'm not a medical professional. I don't work in the public service. So I'll tell you what I see. And, and I'm going to paint like a dark picture, but then we'll talk about, you know, moving out of the shadows and into the light. Sure. Yeah. Right. So here's, here's what I see. I see the total collapse of a PPE medical supply chain, total collapse. So we hmm. rely on countries that may be going through COVID themselves and are self-isolated and can't produce. We're going through a global environment where there's a severe shortage. So you have, you know, people on the tarmac bidding for the same cargo load of goods. And sometimes it goes to the highest bidder. Sometimes cargo loads and flights are interrupted and it's not getting to different countries. Mm. Uh, you have, uh, you know, when, when supply is, you know, uh, compromised, pricing goes right out of the way. Now add a layer of, of, of PPE needs that are like extraordinary. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you go to a hospital, every single visitor is treated as if they have positive COVID uh, infection because you don't know. Yeah. Everybody's asymptomatic. You don't know. So anybody entering is kind of has to be triaged for COVID before they're triaged for something else. Hmm. So that's a whole layer of PPE not expected. Then you have long-term health care that really never had the kind of PPE to treat uh, a highly infectious person. 
to mm. I've seen I've seen reports and costs that people that have uh, uh, positive COVID in a, in a, like a long term care facility, the cost to outfit that person is like eighty dollars, eighty dollars a day per worker. So then you've got a system that maybe can't afford uh, to pay the healthcare uh, workers, and so maybe there's wage cuts. I think. You know, is that why people are walking off the job? It's, it's hard to tell. Mm. Um, so there's like, so there's the big demand and supply. Now let's ripple that through the economy. You've got people that have great shortages of PPE, all your family physicians all through Canada normally uh, can access PPE through, you know, normal supply chain, but that supply chain doesn't have access to PPE. So now they don't have PPE in the field. And because of, you know, shelter in place and they don't have PPE and uh, they start shutting down. So imagine an overburdened healthcare system with maybe two thirds of family physicians who can practice. Like the ripple effects are, are enormous um, and the needs are all over the place. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the picture um, that when I try and get local folks to mobilize and, and to form a response, that's, that's the picture I try and paint for them. It's not just that we have a shortage for hospitals. It's that we have a shortage everywhere. And that's everywhere. the darkness you talk about. That's the dark. And then you yeah. talk about the light. So, so where's, which I guess is sort of the end of the road or end of the tunnel when you get out of it. Like, so how, what are we seeing there? The light. Yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, darkest, what I didn't mention is now add like 10, 20% unemployment, add mm. food bank closures, add all that. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the light. The light honestly is, is everybody I work with that conquer COVID-19. The light is, is obviously all those healthcare workers that are, are entering in, in, in to help whether they know how to or not uh, they are so creative i mean i think the opportunity for canada is we're clever and we can find alternatives and we can we can find non-traditional sources for ppe and mm -hmm. it is overwhelming how how canada has turned around and responded and and how competitors are like shoulder to shoulder to respond and share the burden of finding PPE. And a couple examples, I, I, you know that, um, you know, Volvo Canada, for instance, stepped up. Yeah. Before, before we had uh, uh, the wonderful collaboration with uh, Haley uh, Wickenheiser, Volvo within 24 hours, they're like, you need cars, you're gonna distribute, we, we'll put them all together. And they, they, they did that very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, Toys R Us and Babies R Us and VTech donating uh, baby monitors, uh, which is essential for people in isolation. Uh, yeah. You know, huge, huge corporations um, partnering with us uh, in the effort to get medical supplies out. Mm -hmm. That's the light. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Tell me, you're, you're, we talked a bit about your being in Bob Cajun. Yeah. Um, and Bob Cajun seems to have 
gone through, I don't know where they are today, gone through um, a lot of this darkness. Um, I mean, I know you're self-isolating on your farm, um, but you, I don't know if you get a sense of, of how the community is doing. I wonder if you could talk about that. Oh, yeah. Now, I have to do this, and honestly, <laughs> I have to, you know, like, it's very emotional, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so, um, being here uh, with the SAP run, good as it was, uh, uh, I think the first infection was the day we put up our buckets. Um, and uh, and so, and Bob Cajun went from from three deaths to 29 in the span of two weeks. And I think the challenge for Bob Cajun is this happened before the government had mobilized, before anybody had really mobilized and they couldn't benefit from the kinds of things that we put together today. Mm. So while it was happening, um, there was this one fellow called Ryan Chasen, just this incredible fire ex-former firefighter who was doing anything that he could to help uh, Pinecrest. Um, and there were others in the, in the neighborhood too. Uh, um, one fellow offered to get groceries um, for anybody that couldn't, that was, that was self-isolating. Like there was amazing acts of generosity. Um, the challenge is they were all independent and not connected. Mm -hmm. um, or they just hadn't formed yet, like they hadn't all come together. And I think what I realized with Conquer COVID is, you know, in the beginning we were six and then became 10 and then 15 people driving together. So with, with Bob Cajun, you know, I reached out to a number of players just to say, you know, could we, could we form a, form a response team and, and not just help um, Pinecrest uh, in their darkest hour, but can we help everyone? Can we start understanding who are the doctors in town and what do they need and first responders and any other mm. long-term care? And I'm like just so impressed with this town because um, despite the really tough, tough uh, things happening at Pinecrest, a whole bunch of people came together and, and you know, I think built a bit of a model of how a small town can respond um, when no one else is is able to help. Yeah, it's just, it's. I was shocked when I said I heard of, of Bob Cage because one doesn't you know, you think this affects you know urban centers where people are you know sort of yeah. shoulder to shoulder, and I was thinking Bob Cage and like what how, you know it's it was it was crazy when I when I heard yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure, but I, I don't think there's a single person in Bob Cajun that isn't related uh, in some way or one degree away from, from someone who passed away. Like it is a town mm. in grief, like wow. utter grief. I mean, we were 10% of Ontario's deaths at one point, right? Yeah. And 15%. And, and the harsh lessons learned in Bob Cajun are lessons, I think, for all long-term health. I mean, I think they made this, I, I do think the province is listening and looking at what happened in Bob Cajun um, to see how we can, how we can help everyone in long-term care. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
you you were mentioning you t- we talked about supply chain and, and how there was yeah. a collapse you know world shortages uh lockdowns all those sorts of things is there a lesson here to be learned for i guess for canada specifically maybe ontario on you know after we come out of this how do we ensure that you know should something like this come upon us again you know whether it is a a, a flu or or whatever it is um, i'm curious whether you've heard conversations or if you've been speaking with anybody about how do you solve this for long term yeah i've been thinking about that a lot hmm. um, in in my work um, i feel like i haven't actually watched the news in a long time because we're just heads down it's hard to explain how much work there is to set up a support behind a broken supply chain mm-hmm. um, uh, one of the things that i notice is what we're doing is we're looking at the needs across different hospitals and different long-term care providers like you know if there's five hospitals each hospital knows what it needs but no one's looking at all five hospitals together right Mm. no one has consolidated what are the requirements and medical supply needs across all of them now like scale that up because we're dealing with more than five hospitals sure and when you have that in order to supply ppe you need somebody that says okay we got a shortage who gets n95s when can you use expired n95s when is it appropriate to use a face mask what if it's sewn? Does it have a filter? Does it not? Okay, face shields. Does it need polycarbonate, uh, you know, clear plastic? And how big should it be? Does it need approvals by Health Canada? Like, I've just named an item by item account of how you should allocate. Now you have to think about, well, how do we ethically allocate, right? Because every shortage... Mm you know, affects lives, right? So we're very lucky, like at Conquer COVID, I think like core, core, core to our success is the fact that we have the participation of seven or eight medical doctors. And some of them are with U of T, so they have connections to to a lot of people uh, and, and medical students and others are ER doctors. And, and so we are directed not just on what the need is like weird weird stuff like baby monitors but we're also directed on what should the allocation be and then they're trying to offer an ethical allocation because if we have to choose where to you know ship things we need someone to kind of take that burden from us because we're not medical doctors where should stuff go um so i think uh so, so when, when we get back to your original question, you know, what's broken and what's the lesson out of that, I think the challenge is the, 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 that some of our established public, you know, systems can't respond fast enough. What I see in emails is things like, we can work with the government, but we know you guys can get stuff out faster. And um, mm, so we, we, our rapid response 
is helping the government because they can't move fast enough. And to their defense, they're dealing with global supply issues, not, not the nursing home around the corner, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so this is where, you know, I think part of the light, getting out of the shadows and into the light, we need every single person doing something to help this scenario until the government cavalry can come in. This, and, I mean, everything that you've said, how this is like a steep learning curve. Like, can you imagine five weeks ago oh or six yeah. weeks ago, you know, what, what is an N95? I know. Right. <laughs> Polycarbonate. Yeah. yeah. Huge, is... huge learning curve. But, and, and this is part of the challenge for, for uh, the government, the learning curve that we went through. Thank mm -hmm. God I had, a, you know, medical doctor team. And then we have this outstanding uh, uh, lawyer who provides legal advice. We have, uh, you know, someone who's in PR. Like we, I think part of our success is that we're entrepreneurs, startups, or, or ad agency types or agency types, right? Mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. used to big projects. We're used to executing in short time. We're used to small budgets or no budgets. Yeah. Um, and we've been able to, you know, put that all together very quickly. Um, whereas you can imagine if you're in government, you sometimes you need to wait for provincial instruction or, you know, at the municipal level anyway. Yeah, you got yeah, like like you said, it's government is is a just a huge machinery that that takes a while to sort of turn around and and pivot. Yeah. And and like I think the challenges in this current covid environment is there's education and instruction gaps everywhere, right? Like if you are uh, at a long-term, and, and this is close to me because I'm in Bob Cajun, if you're in a long-term care, caring after positive COVID patients, do you go grocery shopping on your way home? Yes or no? Wow. Like, and so I think the challenge for Bob Cajun is none of that information was available to anybody, mm -hmm. right? So now, now we've got a bit more instruction. Okay, if you come you know, back from Florida, you need to be locked away for 14 days. If you know, it's coming like that kind of instruction is coming, but, um, but the gap is everywhere. Tell me about the, um, actually, no, let me ask you this. How, how do we look after, take, at, take care of sort of our invisible population? Right. So, um, you know, I, I'm thinking yeah. about the homeless. I'm thinking about people that may or may not be documented in shelters. Um, yeah. You know, how do we how do we look after them? It's a great question. Um, with the Conquer COVID team, we have one person in charge of community and another person who's managing a lot of the homeless response. Mm. And um, I'm not as close to it, but I know that. Um, this one fellow is working with the government on, on beds and shelters and, uh, and, and scaling up um, from that standpoint. Yeah. Um, I think with us, you know, we started as a group trying to take care of GTAA and we scaled up quickly to take care of Ontario. And um, so, so finding all these invisible population 
has been a priority. One way we do it is through our U of T um, team, we're connected to the Ontario Medical Association. Mm. And can we find all the doctors that service all the people, right? Whether they're invisible or not, there's a family physician out there that, that plays a role. And it was the one unifying thing that we could find. They all have to, you know, be licensed. So we're trying to attack that problem from a number of different fronts yeah, and, and find the one association that can link everyone um, because yes, it's difficult. And then the other way we do it is thanks to Haley uh, Wickenheiser and, and what she has, the enormous like focus that she's put to conquer COVID is we hope to heck everybody sees our advertising and and uh, um, and and can write in and ask for support. Yeah. Um, how how has that been? You know, with with people, you know, as public facing um, as Haley Wickenheiser, Ryan Reynolds. How has how has that helped uh, your efforts? Well, it first like from a morale standpoint. I know that sounds silly, but like we're we're all volunteers with day jobs no mm-hmm. none of us are getting paid and we're working long hours um it's really nice to to meet somebody who has the same goals and is utterly committed to solving the problem and and so i'd say the first amazing thing about haley wickenheiser is she just came in like a tornado uh and 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 gave us the push that we needed. Uh, hmm. She has moved us away from a small local response to actually having the confidence, the means, the introductions to do this on a big scale. And that's scary. That's scary for, you know, we are a hundred volunteers who have day jobs, right? Yeah. We're not funded. We're like, like that's it, it, the the task is enormous, and we really we're not here to replace the government. We're just here to to help them until they're ready. Yeah, um, yeah. But take take the pain out of the system, right? We couldn't mm-hmm. have done that without uh, Haley or uh, or Ryan because Ryan uh, adds his own amplification to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, that's it's it's a uh, it's amazing, and his videos are just hilarious. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. I wanted to. One of the things I've been thinking about is how we, you know, I, I've been impressed with, you know, all of our political leaders uh, as a whole in terms of yeah, me too. Their their messaging, right? How they how everybody needs help, and we need we need to look after people, and and I'm and one of the things that I'm thinking about is that when all this is done. Hmm. you know, whenever it is, do we still look after those who look after people or are we going to go back to the same old, um, you know, looking at every which way to save some money? Well, that's a really big question. I don't think, I don't think we'll ever fully go back to pre COVID times on, on, I think that there's enough lessons here and 
things that need changing that 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 it'll it will ripple through an impact um little simple things like just self-sufficiency you know yeah. have we how do we, we we have a lot of new manufacturing going on and 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 doug ford committing to being the the being the province that can help other provinces mm -hmm. I, I think i don't think we'll roll back on on commitments like that yeah um, i'm also thinking of things like minimum wage i'm thinking of things like you know how much we pay people that work in grocery stores how yeah. much you know how much support we give to people that um work in long-term care people that work with the homeless and shelters you know people that we see all across the city signs in people's windows and on fences um saying thank you to everybody um and then i go well you know yes we thank them but what are we going to do when this is all over right are we going to say you know thanks for that but now we gotta you know now it's time to i mean the province and the country is spending billions of dollars obviously um and unfortunately I'm you know it's going to okay well we can't spend as much anymore we can't you know it's it's interesting how you how you talk about well we won't go back to pre-covid yeah no i don't think so um, um you know one of the things i wrestle with that because my in my day job um one of the things i do is i look at uh, human self-expression and hmm. i analyze it yeah, some call it social listening, but I think there's too many bad examples of social listening out there. It's more on a larger scale. And one of the things I've been looking at is, is the mood and emotions of Americans. Uh, because okay. what I've noticed is, you know, pre-COVID, our emotions really like aren't that intense. But what we're seeing now with you know, everybody digging well below their Maslow hierarchy of needs. Like we're, we are in a situation where we have emotions because we can't control what's going on right now, like shelter, food, mm. health. So, so we act, it's, it's quite interesting because we have, you know, on mass, these emotions and intensity that we have not had for, in my lifetime and were or at least not the to this scale so i'm trying to look at how does emotion move and it moves when it's intense it can go from mm. deep-seated mm. grief right to rage really quickly so i think the the kind of interesting thing i'm wrestling with is well how how do we talk to people when they're in these moods and either de-escalate, shift, support, you know. So I think to a certain extent, you know, and I'm coming from an advertising standpoint, like sure. that's the kind of thing that won't go back to pre-COVID. Like we have to be really on top of who we're talking to and not be tone deaf to what they're going through. Hmm. There'll be more empathy. Yeah, more or education or, or de-escalation hmm. or just know that if you've got an audience that's really grieving that they could flip over to other intense emotions pretty quickly. How is work, Lori? We haven't talked about that at all. How, how, is, your, how is your new business? It must be tough sort of juggling all of these things. 
It is. It is. Uh, it's really tough. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful and I'm not just saying this cause you're recording it, but this, this whole conquer COVID work is four weeks old, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And, and has been enormous time away from the business. And you know, my team, my partners, they, they literally said, we will take as much as we can from you so you can keep moving. Hmm. And uh, I wasn't really expecting that kind of support, you know, like I get worried that, I've got employees to support and I just really appreciate that they see the bigger picture and whenever I need artwork, whenever I need, you know, they're just, they're there for me. And I've had a number of partnerships where, you know, when times get tough, Mm. they don't always stick around. And, and I think what this experience has shown me is I'm with the right team, this team, this team nice. is not, you know, they can't, if we all volunteer for Conquer COVID, the agency will, you know, we won't be able to focus, but yeah. this, group, this group does whatever they can so that, that I can, uh, I can help. They support you so that you can support others. It's very important. Yeah. And it's unusual. It's not common. I don't sure. Think. No, but you know what? Like, I think it starts from the top. So you being one of the, one of the, the founders of, of your new company, you know, you set the tone, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you lead with your heart, then others, others will follow and say, okay, it's, it's okay to do that. It's okay to show yeah. vulnerability. It's okay to um, care, right? It's not, I need to be the last person to leave the office or I need to, to yeah. send emails late at night to show that I'm working overtime or anything like that. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's important and you know, you're working with some great people and you know, there's, there's many of us that are many of us that aren't. I'm, I'm thankful to be at a place that, you know, encourages um, right. community involvement, encourages individuality um, and, and is focused on people. It's, it's, it's awesome. I'm so happy that you've, you yeah. found a good place. Me yeah. too. You're Me welcome. too. And sometimes you don't see these things until something tough comes along. So that's, yeah, that's so true. Um, I'm I'm still new to this Zoom thing, Lori. <laughs> so I, I have no clue whether I'm going to be kicked off just now or not. So <laughs> been 40 minutes already. Ish, yeah, ish. Um, but let me. Uh, if it gets cut off, it gets cut off. Um, but thank you so much for this. I really, I really, um, not, j- I, I, I wanted, I, I could talk to you for the longest time ever. Um, but, uh, zoom is going to cut us off soon. And I know that you've got a farm to look after. You've got family there. Uh, you've got work. You obviously you've got uh, COVID, uh, conquer COVID-19. Um, before we wrap up, just quickly, if people want to get involved, if people want to donate, if people want, I know Ryan Reynolds talked about getting t-shirts. Um, yeah. if, people, if people need stuff, um, t- tell us about the website and what people can do. Well, the website has 
uh, three main components. Uh, one, if you need help, um, there's a place for you to fill out where you are and how we can get to you. Um, uh, and uh, then there's two other spots where you can either make a financial contribution, which leads to a, uh, a, a, our partner uh, IDRF, which accepts donations. And 100% of all donations go to buying PPE. And then there's another section where it says you can offer something. You can either, uh, you either have a donation um, and you can drop it off at our PPE, you know, our PPE drives, or you can put in the information so that we can find a way to get that donation uh, from you or shipping information so you can ship to XYZ storage in, in uh, Toronto. Awesome. Lori, uh, it's going to be, you know, you talked about changing behaviors. I don't know when I'm going to be comfortable uh, hugging people, shaking people's <laughs> hands. But uh, if I, here's, here's a virtual hug to you. Um, you know, thank you for, thank you for doing all of this. For, 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 for all of your volunteer work since, you know, for the long, longest time, you're not just sort of new, <laughs> you know, you've been doing, you've been helping as much as you can always. So thank you for that. Thank you. And thanks for, and thanks for chatting with me. Thank you. I enjoy chatting with you. <laughs>